The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you so much, Meg, as always, very, very much. All right. Well, guys, thank you for uh, coming today on a holiday weekend. We know we have a lot of people, as always, traveling, but it's good to see you here. God has brought you here. Pray that God would speak to you here as he will. So thank you so much for doing that. As you're turning to Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, uh, if you're new or if it's been a while, you forgot your Bible, we're on page 838 of the Blue Pew Bible, 838. Mark chapter 3 is the big number, small number, verse 13, Mark three thirteen. Uh, let me just make one correction we sent out over email yesterday. Uh, many of you have been praying for Miss Betty Dewey. Uh, she is at rehab at North Kansas City, not Riverside uh, Rehab. I apologize for that miscommunication there. So Kara, uh, wherever you're at, Miss Kara, thanks for that double check. And keep praying for Miss Betty. Pray for Mr. Jerry and all the family as uh, they're continuing to uh, pray for Betty's recovery as God wills. So thank you for doing that. Um, you know, yesterday, and this has nothing to do with the sermon other than our our kids, uh, we, we, we lit some fire, some smoke bombs yesterday, and our kids just, they love to play in smoke. I don't know if you do that. Uh, we got to play in smoke and throw poppers. That's, a, that's a, how exciting we are these days. So uh, uh, if you want to have a party, come to our place on July 4th. We'll all be in bed by 8.30. So uh, uh, we hope at least. So that'll be a lot of fun. Well, we are back in the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 3. Uh, we have taken a break uh, from the Book of Mark the last uh, almost three months now. It's hard to believe, if you've been with us, that uh, we started the book of Mark in January, and we went to just about early April, and then after that, we started an Easter series, and then our most recent biblical manhood and womanhood, and uh, John Higgins, I saw you somewhere, brother. Thank you for encouraging my heart yes, last week. That one phrase, surrender your heart, has stuck with me all this week. Thank you for your word and your faithfulness, as we do. Uh, you say, Darren, where are we going from here? We're going to be in the book of Mark. Now, hold on, and you're going to say this. My wife, my wife even gave me this look. But we're going to be in Mark until the year 2020. Did, yeah, did you hear that? Are you awake now? How long are we going to be there? Till 2020. That's right. That was an old show, and you, you remember that old 2020 show. But we're going to be in Mark verse by verse, chapter by chapter through that time, with breaks for holidays and other special events. But why are we doing this? Because we want you to see a book of the Lord taken out verse by verse. For some of you, this may be the first time that you've gone through such a lengthy book. But I want to do that to God's glory. So over the next coming weeks, Mark chapter 3 is going to be where we're at. So if you forget, we're at Mark chapter 3. Today, a little overview of the passage. And then for the next 12 weeks, an apostle, a disciple each week. Next week, we're going to look at the life of Peter. And then John. And then uh, James. Uh, Luke, uh, Luke Burton, maybe you know Luke, will be preaching for us in three weeks. We'll be in vacation on Branson, and somewhere in Branson and doing that sort of thing. Uh, trying to sleep and put kids down for bed. That's going to be our vacation. So... Uh, <laughs> That's how it goes. So you know that, and you come with that. You say, Darren, why is that exciting? It's exciting because you get to see God's word as it is, not cherry-picked. You get to hopefully see it verse by verse. So that's what it is. But I'm sure none of you have ever seen this happen at your house or anything like this. But, uh, you know, if you remember having kids or things, this illustration will make a lot of sense. But uh, all five kids of this certain family were tucked in when Billy sudden, suddenly started wailing. This happens every night at our house. I got to go potty, got to go potty. 
And the three-year-old had somehow swallowed a penny down his throat and was convinced he was about to die. Kate's husband uh, came when Kate was the mom and figured the only way to calm her inconsolable son was to have a little sleight of hand. So he pulled the penny out of his pocket and pretended to pull it out of Billy's ear. You've never done that before, right? The trick worked like magic, and Billy melted with relief and with so much excitement. And after a moment, he grabbed his dad's penny from his hand and quickly swallowed it before saying, Do it again, Dad! Do it again! Do it again! Do it again! <laughs> and you know as parents, sometimes that's how that works, or grandparents, if it's been a while. You know, in service, especially in serving your family and serving your kids, is odd at times, isn't it? The things you do as a parent, I'm realizing, are things that you don't often want to think about or really consider or talk about, and you know what I mean. And if you remember having little kids, you know the story is not far from your reality. What we thought we would do as parents before we had kids would make us laugh very much if we talked about it. Is this not true today? You did what? You had to do what? Yeah, we actually had to do that because that's life. And you know, serving sometimes comes just like this dad realized with this young three-year-old Billy. To serve anyone as we ought requires patience, determination, and ever the more lesson we're learning as parents is self-surrender. Self-surrender. And I think about that phrase, self-surrender and patience and sacrifice as it relates to service as we enter Mark chapter 3. I'm also reminded of Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 where Isaiah was before the holy, holy, holy God. And he said, Lord, here I am. Send me. He saw God for who he was. He had no idea what he was going to do, but eventually he went out as he was called to do. Look, folks, all of us, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a widow, a widower, a young person, old person, whatever you are, all of God's people are sent on mission. The question is, where are we on mission? With whom are we on mission? And among whom? And doing what? That is our call everywhere we go. The question is, are you willing to serve God where he wants you to go? For some of you, that may be internationally. God may prick your heart someday to go internationally. And it might not be to a Caribbean nation. It might be, I don't know, it might be Australia with the kangaroos. I don't know. But I do know this. Do you feel like you're not good enough to serve this God where you are? That's how many of us feel. We feel if I'm going to serve God, then I have to feel good about it. But oftentimes God puts us in places where we don't feel like we're adequate. We don't feel like we can take it on. But why does God want us to serve him this way? It's because of the big idea. And many of you know that the big idea is our summary statement of the, of the sermon, really, in the passage. And it's this. The ink in the pen of God that he uses to write our stories is all of grace. Even when the story turns, we don't, takes turns we don't understand or wouldn't choose. Now, I know none of you have ever had that experience before in your life, Right? It's all worked out like uh, Leave it to Beaver and Mayberry from some 50 years ago, right? That's always how it works. You never, I'm sure, have seen God move you in a way that he has you never thought possible. But a sign that you're growing in grace is that you realize that Jesus intends to make you a lot more loving and generous than you would choose to be and to go to places to serve him in things that you would never choose to do. Remember, you can't have one part of God without the rest, and you can't pick and choose. So why would you want to? You ever prayed that prayer before? God, send me out, but don't send me to those people before. You ever done that before? God, I'm willing to serve you, but don't send me to those people. And over the years, God seems to put you in paths with people that you prayed you'd never want to be in paths with before. I'm sure, again, that's never happened to you. But I want to look at four ways this morning God calls us to serve. 
four ways God calls us to serve this morning and how this relates to service and his call and how he writes that story of grace. We're going to look at it. John as a good Baptist, brother. You opened this can of worms last week. As a good Baptist, we have four S's, John. You ready for this? Friends, we're going to look at how to serve and why God calls us to serve for four ways. We're going to look at a separation that happens. We're going to look at a summons. We're going to look at a sanctioning. And we're going to look at servants and what that means. You know, if you've ever thought about this, God chose to work through you and me to take an eternal message of the gospel everywhere. Has that ever just blown your mind? I can't even sometimes get the right truth back to my wife after a doctor visit. She has to call and follow up after two hours at the doctor. The truth is, there is no plan B. God has only had one plan, plan A. And plan A is that he reaches the world through normal, finite people, men and women like you and me. And he's commanded that we share, preach the gospel to every living creature. You know, God could have had the stones cry out, couldn't he? He could have had all the rocks cry out. He could have caused Bibles to fall from heaven so that the message would have went to all. He could have dispatched legions of angels from heaven to broadcast the gospel far and wide. God could have spoke from heaven himself. He did several times that it would have thundered across the globe. God could have done any of those things, but he hasn't. God instead, through his infinite wisdom and genius, has entrusted the worldwide message of the gospel to fallible and finite and regular Joe people like you and me. I don't know about you. Most CEOs don't send the regular Joe people to do their jobs, do they? They get the cream of the crop. Well, friends, you may be the cream of the crop in God's eyes, and you are through Christ by grace, but he's chosen to work through everyday people like you and me. If this is the first time that you read this passage, we'll get to, you'll look at this and say, really? God's going to work through a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors? Really? He's going to work through IRS agents and those people that fish for things on Alaska and Discovery Channel? You know, if you've ever seen that show? But it allows enough room for people like you and me to see that the plow that God wants us to do is the very strength he's giving normal people. God has appointed the end of praise will be forever and ever, but he chose the means to do it through you and through me, Tower View. In Mark 3, we see that Jesus is giving the keys to the car, if you will, of the gospel to his teenage children. And I don't know if you've ever done that before. I've been a part of that, and that scared my mom half to death. But we see Jesus entrusting the ministry to people whom he no longer will see when he's here on this earth, but he will see from heaven. How did they handle it? How should we handle it? How do we know we're called? That's what I want to look at today. Because sometimes service in the story God's writes of your life is going to be much different than how you would have ever imagined it to be. If you're able this morning, as we often do in honor of God's word, would you join me in standing as we read Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Mark 3, 13 through 19. It will be a very familiar passage for you coming up over the next 12 weeks into October. Mark 3, 13, uh, the ESV says this. It says, And he, that is Jesus, went up from the mountain and called to him, that's Jesus, those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed, or the better word, he summoned the twelve whom he called apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. And have authority, verse 15, to cast out the demons. And he appointed the twelve. And these are familiar names to most of you. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boangris. Boangris, I can never say it right. That is, the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew, 
and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the, the, uh, I'm just going to let it be. It's hard when you get up here and read these names. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, that's Jesus, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. When you serve Jesus, people are going to look at you and say, dude, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You're off your rocker. Go get your head examined. But as we will see over the next 12 weeks, these men, as normal Joes as they were, mostly blue-collar workers, although there was a sprinkling of white-collar workers in them, all had one purpose. That was to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ together and throughout the whole world. And that is the same call we have today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the reality that this gospel work is not the work of princes and kings, although you have used princes and kings. This gospel work is not just to the preachers and the pastors and Sunday school teachers and deacons, although, Father, as we know in our own church, you have used that as well. Father, this call, the gospel, is most, from a percentage standpoint, given to the regular congregant who by faith alone in Christ alone has received the gospel and who has been called to share the gospel through whatever way you have shared them or called to share through them. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that salvation is of you. It's not of us, and it's open to all who call upon the name of the Lord. It's not for the elite. It's not for the super poor. It's not just for the middle class. Father, it's for all those people. Thank you. Thank you that you saved us not while we had our lives put back together, but you saved us while we were yet sinners. Father, we need that reminder this morning as we enter the Lord's Supper here after the sermon. You are such a good God. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned, I want to look at four things this morning, four areas of service that Jesus shows us here in this passage before we start studying through these apostles themselves. That first phrase I want you to look at here is the, is, is the separation, the separation. And the separation is that Jesus, it says in verse 13, he went up onto the mountain. Jesus went up onto the mountain. Uh, if you remember back a few months ago, Jesus has, was doing ministry in the lowland areas of Galilee, and now it's time for the next phrase, the next step uh, of what was going on. And he's going to call out 12 men to do the work that he's called them to do. And it doesn't say which mountain specifically, but it's intentional so he, Jesus, could get away from the crowds, shut off his cell phone, so to speak, shut out all communication, and just communicate with his father. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says that he went up there to pray. And it shares in Luke 6 also that he spent the whole night in prayer to be focused on God with this one decision. And this one decision was, who in the world are we going to get to carry this message throughout the world? You know, if you were like uh, most things, you know, you, the American Idol is dead now, right? I think it stopped being a show. If you remember 10 years ago, we had our own American Idol locally, David Cook. Uh, we lived out in Independence, and you'd drive to Blue Springs, and there'd be a thing that said, David Cook, American Idol. That's always weird to me, because Harry Truman had a sign that mile the other way. President Truman, David Cook, however that works. But one of the most important decisions that those American Idol judges had to make is who is going to represent us on the show. Now, a lot of it was entertainment value and the weep, weep, weep stories, and you all cried with us when people would sing terribly, but they let them on the show anyway, and you cried when they sang again, and you know how that was. But... When it comes to making a team, making a cut, not everyone gets on the team, even in high schools today. Used to be everyone played, now you have to make the team. But one of the most important decisions Jesus had to make was who is going to be on my team? Who is going to be on team Jesus, so to speak, in the church and be the foundation of the church 
itself. Now you say, Darren, isn't Jesus fully God? And we would all say, amen. And we would also say Jesus is fully man. And all God's people said, amen. He was. Did he know those whom he would choose? Yes, that was found before the foundation of the world. We'll get there. But this is here to show us to, in, in correctness that to impress the greater to the lesser, that if Jesus, being God in the flesh and man as he was, was so dependent on his Father in prayer, how much more are we to be desperate for God when we serve him in prayer? Are you weary today? You tired? You shot off too many fireworks, you don't even know where you live anymore? Looks like a battle zone? Are you feeling a heavy weight? Friend, then there is a need of prayer in your life. This is something we also often forget. Prayer is the weapon by which God chooses to serve and work through the world. In Jesus, he calls out to God, release the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and through these disciples. And in our weakness, his strength is to be made perfect and he expects and requires us to pray. Maybe one reason it seems you seem to just be spinning your wheel spiritually is because you haven't committed, as Christ did, to separate yourself out to pray. It's not an exaggeration, but a statement of truth by the Holy Spirit that he knew how important selecting these men were. He had to get it right. He didn't just put up there a little sign-up sheet, hey, if you want to be on my team, come sign up. He chose the men who the Father had chosen and seeking direction from the Lord himself. Friends, this is a great reminder, especially among Christians, that the Word of God can have no success unless the teacher and the hearers are praying. Do you ever think about that? If you're here today, pray for the service each Sunday. I mean, to the world, it sounds very crazy. We, we come together once a week or sometimes often more in small groups, but it's water on a duck's back unless God opens the hearts and minds for you to hear this message today. But he immediately questioned these men right after they prayed, and that's in later in the chapter. But our Lord spent time immediately preceding all of this calling of ministry in prayer, and the success of his class was in prayer before the lesson. For those of you who are Sunday school teachers, whether that is the littlest ones all the way up to uh, the oldest, those who teach and preach have a ministry. How desperate we must pray each week as we prepare a lesson. We can't fly by the seat of our pants when it comes to giving the word of God. If Jesus, the greatest teacher ever known, had to pray before he taught, how much more should we pray? For people to see God, we must go before him in prayer. We'd be amazed if we could see Jesus as he sees our need to increase our prayers. Not just any prayers, but prayer is this, and Adam will put it up there for you. Prayer is about getting your, not about getting your will done in heaven. It's about getting God's will done here on this earth. We must know what it means to separate ourselves from the daily grind, which we all have, even retirees have, perhaps more busy than you've ever been in your life. We've got to know what it means to separate ourselves from full schedules and busyness to be alone with God in prayer and bring up matters before him that require his help. Pray without ceasing, the scripture says. Pray for one another. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be on the alert with all petition, for we must always, always, always be in prayer. So Jesus separated himself. Before he could serve, he had to take a step back. Some of you say, Darren, I do that before I come to church. I've got to put on my face. i got to put on my makeup. You know, I've got to get ready. I've got to do all those things, and that's great. But have you, before you've come to church, have you, as best you can, taken a few moments as you lie in bed, and in our case, before you hit the, the, the spot on the floor that wakes the whole house up, have you taken time to pray, Lord, what is it today that you would have me do for your glory. 
Jesus taught and prayed and healed and performed many miracles. But prayer doesn't change the will of God, but it does find the will of God. Prayer aligns us to his will. And we must be alone with God as we seek the will of God for our lives. Christian, I don't want you to be guilt-tripped today. I don't want you to feel, you know, that's another check mark I need to do as a Christian. But you should feel some weight of that. Has your smartphone overtaken your time with God? Has your love for sports taken over your time with God? Has your exercise routine overtaken your time with the Lord? Those aren't all bad things. Please, believe me, whatever it is. Has your chattiness taken over your time with your chattiness, so to speak, with the Lord? Have you separated yourself? When's the last time you pulled back, even for an hour, to say, Lord, I want to pray. I don't know what to pray, Lord. I got a prayer list here the church gives. I just want to be with you. I don't want that to be guilty, a trip for you, but I want you to ask yourself, is that a reality in your life? Have you taken time to spend separating yourself before praying, God, I want to serve here. Have you said, Lord, what is it? Where is it? Who is it that I should be on mission with as you write my story of grace? That's point number one. To be an area of service, you must separate yourself out. We'll go on to number two here, the separate or the summons, rather, after the separation. Look back at verse 13. It says, uh, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he called to himself those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed, is what the ESV says, but I think the other translations get the stronger word there. He summoned the twelve whom he also named apostles so they might go with him and preach. Summons. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Have you ever gotten a, well, let's do it this way. Have you ever gotten a summons, so to speak, to go to jury duty before? I know we have a lawyer in this room, and I'm sure that happens a lot. You know what? I've never had a jury duty summoned, so Dave, please, or whoever else is in this area to, that knows the law, please don't say, go get Darren. But you know, if you get a jury duty thing, what happens? You have to show up for jury duty, right? No matter, there are exceptions to that, of course, but when they summon you, you come. And behind the summons of the eternal God, the sovereign choice of God, was those who would serve in capacity that the Father wanted to make known to the Son. The Son then issues a summons. He then sends it out. This is not a volunteer army. This is not anything else but a band of disciples who the Lord himself has pursued. Summoned. Think about that. Friends, this is not a pithy God up there saying, if you want to come serve me, just come. This is a God in all his eternal sovereignty saying, here I am with divine authority saying, I want you, I want you, I want you. And notice it says, and they came. No questions asked. He didn't ask them if they had a five or ten year plan. Don't you hate that question in interviews? What are you going to do in five or ten years? Well, I want to be your boss, but, you know, I can't tell you that. But, or they hope that life would unfold the best, but he is the master. He is the Lord, and he calls them. It's not open for the debate. It's not a negotiation. He speaks, and if they don't come, he will pursue and discipline them until they come. Friend, this is a reminder, and we're going to break this down for just a minute because it's worthwhile, that we don't summon God. He summons us. Adam will put that up there. We don't summon God. God summons us. And I want to take a minute to break this down because there's four phases in the Bible that we talk about, about what it means to be called as a disciple. Four phases when God summons you to be a follower of him. And when I mean summons, when God says it, guys, no one can take it back. When God says he's going to do someone, no, we can't take a church vote and say, well, God, well, 85% of us think that's a bad thing. We're going to take it to the committee on committees on committees on committees. It doesn't work that way. God says it, it happens. 
the first phase he does this in is personal salvation. Out of the darkness, God has summoned you, Christian, to be a Christian. Mark 2.14, as he walked along, Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And does it say Levi said, Yeah, you don't look like a very nice guy. I'll get the next guy who calls me. It says no. He got up and he followed him. If you're a Christian here today, you were called out of your sin, out of the world and the life of sin, and you are now believing in Jesus Christ. All true believers are disciples. They're followers of Christ. And has the Lord called you out of himself into the life of sin in a personal relationship with him? Then he has called a divine summons and called you up. Say, Darren, that's very Calvinistic. Oh, it is. But friends, that's also very biblical. When God calls someone, he calls them. When Lazarus was in the grave and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Did Lazarus say, no, I like being dead, dude. It's actually kind of nice right here. Let me just lay down for a little bit longer. What did Jesus say? He said, come forth. And that was it. Friends, that's not Calvinistic as much as it is biblical. That's an Arminian as much as it is biblical. That's what the Bible says. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was dead as a doornail. He's, he was more dead than the worms that are collecting in our garage from our kids bringing them in. They're dead. And God summoned him and he called. You say, well, Darren, there's one. Isn't there one who didn't receive the call? And you're absolutely right. His name was Judas. Did you notice there in that list? Look at verse, I think it's 17 here. Judas is listed here at very last. And ironically, he's listed as the one who betrayed Jesus. John 17, 12 says that none have been lost except Jesus speaking. None have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He was pressed over by the Lord, left in his sin and the hardness of his heart. Judas had the devil's initials inscribed on his heart even after being involved in ministry. Why would, why would God choose Judas for service and not salvation? Well, it stands as a warning to every one of us in this church, pastor included, to see whether we are in the faith or not. Judas stands as an example of an unconverted church member. Just because you become a member does not guarantee that you know Jesus Christ. We do our best to vet that. But Judas was religious but lost. He was a professor of Christ. He said, I love Christ, but he was not a possessor of Christ. He didn't have him. John 6, 70 says, Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And you know who that was? Judas. Acts one twenty five says, to, to take over his apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Do you know that the place that Judas belonged and deserved is where all of us belong and deserve, and that is hell itself? You say, whoa, can God really choose some and not others? Yes, friend, he does. Now, I'll let you, and I'm looking at Lauren. Lauren, we joke about this every Sunday school class. We'll let some of those bigger heads hash that out. But friends, the Bible says that many are called, Jesus' own words, but few are chosen. How do you know if you're chosen? You will walk in accordance to believe the gospel. If you, you say, Darren, is this open to everyone? Yes, the gospel call goes out to everyone. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But only those who God has summoned, just as he summoned these disciples, will be truly saved. How does he know that? He knows that. God knew that before the foundation of the world. If you're a Christian, that's your greatest comfort. Because you didn't whiz your way in a smart thinking way into being a Christian. You didn't manly your way. You didn't sweet talk your way into being a Christian. You became a Christian because you were like Lazarus in the grave spiritually. And he looked at you and said, whatever your name is, come forth. And you did. 
because that was a sovereign call that he put on your life. He summoned you that way. So when you talk about the summons, the first thing, if you're not a Christian here today, please know this. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There is no name under heaven by which you can be saved except Jesus to repent of your sin. You deserve the worst, but at the cross, God gave you his best. He took your punishment that you may have eternal life. Believe on the name of Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Second area of training that comes in here that a disciple has is an initial training. So we get saved, we get summoned by God, but then we're summoned into initial training. It's like that new employee orientation that you watch those DVDs at. Some of you recent hires know you fall asleep at and you have a test that you have to pass until you get it right. That's what it is. Mark 1.16, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net, for they were fishermen. As he comes to these four men, he now issues a second call, a call to evangelize people. Only one decision for them is to make, and it's for them to drop everything right away and follow him and enter his school of training. And he called them, and they left their father, it says in John, and in the boat, and they left the hired men and followed him. If you're a Christian here today, the evidence that you're a Christian, that you've been summoned sovereignly, is that you need to be trained. You need to be taught in the basics of the faith. You need to know how to reach others with Christ. And let me throw this out there. Do we have any fishermen, in the fisher ladies, fisher people, however that works? Any big-time fishermen? Any, anyone eat, drink, and go fishing all the time? I wish. Yeah, I know. It'd be nice. You know, there's an old phrase, and it's not, it's not original to me, but if you're, if you're not fishing... If you're not fishing, you're not following. If you're not fishing for Jesus Christ, so to speak, with people, with evangelism, then you're not following. Spurgeon said, have you no desire for others to be saved? Then, sir, be, be sure that you yourself are not saved. How do you know you're a Christian? You get the summons to be a Christian, and then God calls you for a desire for his word to know it, proclaim it, grow in it, and, and experience it. And then, thirdly, you get the call for the official appointment. This is like that stage when you go through new orientation, and now you're stepping into your job for the first day. Don't you remember those first day jitters and how you felt? Oh, boy. You get scared. What's this going to be like? But it says he appointed the 12. Jesus himself, verse 14, he appointed the 12. He made an official capacity to set apart for a lifetime of ministry from everybody else. He said, guys, you are going to do something different than most people will ever do in their lives. You get an official appointment. And finally, you're called to a practical internship. There are many ministry assignments God may call you to. God may call you to serve in the nursery or teaching or whatever, but the rope is being let out in pairs, and you go and you serve. Notice there in verse uh, 14 and 15 what it says they're going to do. It tells them that they are going to actually go out and preach, that they might with him, verse 14, he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So what does it mean that you're called to be a disciple? You're called to be saved. If you're not a Christian, you must come through Christ. Then you get taught by the Lord and others the basics of the faith. Then God, by divine providence, puts you in a ministry position, and then he calls you out. Christian, which phase are you in today? If you're a Christian, which phase are you in? Summons was irresistible and necessary, and it's wrong to procrastinate. If you're sitting on the sidelines of service, whatever that means for you in the church or you're in your family, whatever the Lord is calling you today, whenever that summons is sent from the Lord to your heart, be as ready as these men and as quick to follow as they were and assume the responsibility he lays at your feet. Many of you in here today may know very well how God is calling you to serve this church. 
let's be honest, we need, uh, Brother Nelson, I don't know where you're at, uh, somewhere here, you're back in the back, hi Nelson, uh, reading scripture and immediately going to the sound booth, that's Superman back there. Uh, we're having a parents meeting for our youth group coming up on July 11th at Senior Bolton. Maybe God's calling you to serve or help, perhaps in that capacity. See Nelson, I don't know. Maybe it's babies. We always need help with babies. Who doesn't like holding babies, right? Uh, it may scare you to death, but you can still hold a baby. Who knows? Thank you for many of you, and guys, you know who you are, who stepped up in recent days to mow the lawn to weedy when one of our brothers was having some back ailments. Thank you for stepping up in those ways. But which thing is God calling you to? Which stage of this are you in? Are you in initial training? Adam will put up the other two. Are you in the number three? Are you in the next step of official training? Are you in an internship? Where has God called you? Have you asked him, Lord, where do you want me to serve? You might be surprised at what you hear. Let's go on to number three. To serve, you must be separated out. There must be a focused prayer life of you. Secondly, you must, to serve Jesus, you must know Jesus and trust him that he'll put you where he wants you as you seek that out. But third, there's a sanctioning going on. That's a big word. There's a sanctioning going on. Look down at verse 14 once again. It says, and he appointed, he appointed the twelve. So not only does Jesus summon, he appoints, but he sets them into place. He puts them into place. It's a very official word to make something and make something out of his will. Christ created this group of 12 men. Previously, they were all on his heels place to place. They were following him like a mass crowd, but now he's called them out. And he appoints the 12. Why 12? You ever thought about that? Why 12? There's 12 tribes of Israel, and they will become the foundation of the church. Judas, of course, will be replaced later on by Matthias in Acts chapter 1. But these would be the men who are the future of the church. I don't know about you, but doesn't that scare you a little bit? Did you ever think about that? Why would God choose these 12? Why? Why? These are simple, regular people. These are people who, if they show up on the news, they have such weird accents, you'd make fun of them for the way they spoke. They were from Galilee. They had that weird accent. You know, you know, you, you know people who have weird accents. We all have weird accents. If I say to you, jeet, do you know what that means? Jeet? Does anyone know what that means? What'd you say? Did you eat? Who said that? Meg? You must have boys at your house. That's right. Jeet, that's from Louisiana. That comes from way down south where they say words really, really fast with a really, really deep accent. Jeet? Did you eat? That doesn't make any sense. You would have, if that person was on TV, you would have said, how, what did you say? And I'm serious. And guys, these were regular people. These were people like you and me. Why did he choose them the way he did? Why did he sanction them? Why did he call them out the way he did? He did it for at least two reasons. He did it because, number one, they had a close association with him. How Jesus conducts himself in life and ministry, how he walks from town to town is about to unfold. And before they're sent out to preach, he wants to call them close to himself. Because he realizes that maturity must precede ministry. That growing must precede going. That knowing and being must precede doing. There must be a conformity to the image of Christ, and Jesus knows that all too well. Why did he pick them? Why did he choose them? Because he wanted to send them out to preach. All 12, and here's the irony of this, all 12, including Judas, were called out to preach. Not one is exempt. They are held accountable for the truth they have, 
and he's even loosening the rope until he dies to fully send them out after his death. Let's be very clear. There are no apostles today. Apostleship requires that you saw the resurrected Lord, but the same twofold purpose is here today. We are to be equipped, and we are to be called and conformed. And is all this preparation is for one thing. Your service, whatever God calls you to in this church, Christian, is that you would be faithful to him. These were not men of great skill in oratory. These weren't men like Aaron, Moses' brother, who could get up and, and rouse a crowd with their speaking ability. These were regular men who knew their craft well. You remember what Peter did after Jesus resurrected? He didn't know what to do, so he went back to what he always did. What did he do? He went fishing. That gone fishing sign most of you all have in your uh, driveway was really practical. He didn't know what else to do. But God used this fishermen to go fish for men and women for the gospel. Not all are called to be behind a pulpit. Ladies aren't called to preach to men, but every disciple is called to spread the good news of Christ in the teaching that you're receiving here. All with a stewardship that we are served, noticed by God, that we have all the truth we need, and that we must go out. Friends, look at verse 15. I don't know if you've done this lately. Verse 15 says they had authority to cast out demons. I want you to realize this, and Adam will put this up there, that to believe God's word and his power more than you believe your own feelings and experiences is so much what it takes to serve Jesus Christ. There are times in ministry where I think every pastor goes through and every church goes through where we look at things and say, is this really worth it? Is it really worth going through what we're going through for whatever reason we're going through it? Is it really worth it? And we have to remind ourselves and refresh ourselves in the word of God that God's power is more powerful than our feelings could ever be. Trust me, there are days on, especially Monday afternoons, and Judy knows this, there are days on Monday afternoons I'd rather take a nap than open the Bible because I'm so tired from being up the night before. My feelings say, Darren, you need to go take a nap, and that's not unholy to do. Naps are great. Take them, love them. But at the same time, it's a, it's a spiritual fight sometimes on a Monday afternoon to crack that Bible because I know it's going to be hard work. What am I doing this for? Why do I do this? That doesn't happen very often, I can assure you that. But every pastor goes through that. God, what change is happening? Are people being changed? Is it happening? And that's a reminder as a pastor, it's not my feelings. It's God's power that changes people. Same in your life. When you've talked to your neighbors and your kids and your, your coworkers about Christ time and time again, and you're being faithful to that, and there are times you just say, forget this, I don't want to ever share the name of Christ again. Nothing's happening, Lord. Remind yourself, it is God who called you, it's God who will equip you, and it's God who will do the work for you. Say, so does that mean we should never talk about Christ? Not at all. Be faithful, speak it. There is responsibility for you, but friend, remember that your power is from on high, not with your persuasive tactics. That is great release for us. Because these men, man, they had never gone to Zig Ziglar's how to win friends and influence people. Was that Zig Ziglar? I don't remember who that was. You know what I'm talking about. They, they didn't go to that seminar that shows up at the Holiday Inn for one day for $1,000. You can be a millionaire. To regular people with very little skill. But Jesus calls them to himself so they can be set apart, sanctioned, so that they can see how it's to be done. Friends, you may need someone in this church that you need to be taught how to live the Christian life. Maybe, you, maybe you're at stage one or two, so to speak. You just became a Christian, and you're, you're getting your feet wet into Christianity. That's awesome. Do you have someone you can call on to teach you the basics of the faith? More than just on a Sunday or a Sunday school class. I pray that we get to that point. Friends, it is never a bad thing, never a bad thing to serve the Lord wherever he calls you to be. 
Because what happens is, when you share, you stir up the kingdom of God. You shake that darkness for what it's worth. Once these men are sent out, it will not always be a ready reception for the world. But he reminds them that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. The ability to cast out was given uniquely to these 12 to authenticate their ministry through the New Testament. But never once, I've never cast out a demon, but I can tell you, I've seen people as simple as these disciples share the gospel. And boy, that shakes the kingdom of darkness and people hate it. You want to shake Satan in his boots? That's one thing. But if you want to be faithful to God, you don't have to worry about shaking Jesus in, or Satan in his boots because Jesus will use you in a way that you'll never know. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, I, I think I've shared this before. Martin, this isn't in my notes, but Martin Luther, the great reformer, used to stomp out Satan, like literally. He would get out and he would like jump around and try and knock out Satan. You, you know this. He'd knock it down. He'd say, Satan, you go down there, you go down there. But Luther realized later in his life the greatest evidence he had to, to share the gospel and to shake up the kingdom of God was being faithful to what God called him to. Look, you and Satan aren't going to go at a, a boxing match. God's already won that battle, and it was at Calvary. He did it. It's finished. It's already done. Satan's losing, guys. But he wants the ground that he's called you to serve in so much that he will be do anything. Oh, you're too tired. Oh, you're not going to make a difference. Oh, whatever it is. These guys, who knows what they were thinking? But he knew, Christ knew, that their ministry would literally be impacting people forever. You are products of the call of these 12 people right here. Isn't that amazing? Never know, never doubt what God can do for you, whatever he may say. Last thing is this. God calls us to be separated. God calls us to be a summons. God calls us to be sanctioned out. And lastly, he calls us to be servants, not serfs, but servants. I want to just take a moment. This is more for you people who love this type of stuff. Look at this list, and I'm not going to pronounce the names again. You can, you can correct me at the door afterwards because I am not good at na names. But you see the 12, right? Let me just give you some observations about them. Can I do that for a second? I want to show you first off, these come in groups of four. Notice that first one. It starts with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. These always come in fours, the names of the disciples. Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, Acts 1. The second group is Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. And the third group of four, 12 disciples, was James, Thaddeus, Simon, and that guy, Judas, that one guy out there. So these always come in groups of four. That's the interesting thing about this list. The second observation is there's always a slight variation in the Gospels with the list. Like if you were to go to Matthew 10, you'd see it put a little bit different. But they're not always in the same order, but they're always in the same group of four. Isn't that interesting how that worked out? Why is that? Because observation number three is each group has its own leader. Peter is always the first group's leader. He's the main influencer. Uh, you all know Peter's, you know, and we'll look at him next week. The guy who speaks his mind when he shouldn't, and it's socially awkward when he always is, that's Peter. The second group is always Philip, and the third group is always James of Alphaeus. And it reminds us that in ministry, there should always be leaders among leaders, teams of servants among ministry that function best to carry out the word. And also, what I want you to notice, observation number four, is that the names on this list are laid out with their association with Christ. Judas is listed last because he was further away from the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. The first four come first because they were involved in more direct ministry. The first group is called first because they have the greatest opportunity to serve Jesus and oversee him in the second group and so on. 
and I want to beat this to, a, to, to the ground, but these, lastly, were very unknown, ordinary people. They weren't superstars. They weren't trying to put a Facebook post that went viral in the hopes that they would have their own YouTube channel so they could make money and stay at home in their pajamas. These were very ordinary, hard-working men from all sorts of different places. These weren't scribes. These weren't Pharisees. These were just untrained men. What does this mean for you? Jesus, and you see it up on the screen, he wants ordinary people. Education, experience, prestige, strength are not required. Bring your cross. Leave the big shot status to Jesus, and let's do this. I hope that frees you up a little bit here. I really do. In the pastor world, it's often that pressure that if you don't have the big church with the big following with the big message or that one zinger of a message that, you know, like the one-hit wonders, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's groups that only have one song, uh, uh, you know, uh, all that sort of thing, and that's what they're known for. In the pastoral world, that's what the pressure you feel. If you don't get this done and get this done and get this done, well, to, to whatever with that, let's be faithful where we are. Friends, you don't have to be a superstar for Jesus. You know, God's plan for you might be littleness in your life. God's plan for you might be super littleness in your life. What if God's plan for you, Christian, so you serve him when he calls you by his divine summons and sets you apart? What if his plan for you was for you to be absolutely unknown, absolutely non-celebrated, absolutely no pats on the back, and he says, I'm enough for you, that's enough. Would you be okay with that? What if his plan for you is to use so many life experiences he breaks you and molds you and takes things away from you so much that you make Job look like, I don't know, you make Job look pretty good after your life. What if that is God's plan for you and that's how you serve him? Would you be okay with that? But what if God's plan is for you? What it may, you know, some of you are pretty good singers. What if God gives you an American Idol experience in all seriousness? And he gives you that test of faith that when you hit the big time, he wants to see what's in your heart. He knows what's in your heart, but he wants you to walk through that. I don't know. All I know is these were super ordinary people. When people ask us what Tower View is, and me, I mean this with no disrespect, I've been here for two years. Uh, Judy's heard me describe this in the office. I, I describe Tower View as the, that old kid's book, The Little Engine That Could. You remember that book? The red engine breaks down, and all the toys.